Cochrane for all. Better evidence for better health decisions. Welcome back to Cochrane for All, everyone. I'm with Mark Taylor. He's the Head of Impact for the Central Commissioning Facility of the National Institute for Health Research. I got it out in one breath. Well done. Welcome, Mark. How are you doing? I am fine. It's been an exciting time so far, I think. You're giving a keynote later on today, is that right? Uh, tomorrow morning. Oh, OK, it's tomorrow. Tomorrow morning, yes. Yeah. So I have another night of nerves before I um, get up in front of people. Have you written the slides yet, or are they kind of...? I, I have done the slides, um, which for people who know me, is, is kind of unusual. So there's every chance that I might end up ignoring them anyway. Okay, yes. I, I saw you speak in Oxford a few months ago, and it was a really good combination of your own story mm-hmm. and your kind of professional situation and your kind of vision for where research should be going. Okay. Is that what you're going to be doing here at Cochrane as well? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I, um, I, I do a, a riff on cognitive bias. Um, uh, we all have the, um, we all have unconscious bias, uh, and part of my... Uh, viewpoint is, is driven by the fact that I've had multiple sclerosis for uh, 15 years and I have other multimorbidities, comorbidities as well um, and therefore there's a level of patience, impatience if that makes sense, when it comes to seeing research get translated into practice uh, so a lot of the stuff that I've been looking at when it comes to impact assessment of research that NIHR fund has partly been driven to try and get the patient viewpoint if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely so what are the problems uh, we know the problems in terms of you know, the gap between research and practice. That hasn't seemingly closed in the last kind of 20 or 30 years. In mental health, it's still 17 years. That's what it was when I started working 25 years ago. Yeah. But I guess there's also problems about the way we actually measure the impact of research. How do we do that currently? Sure. Well, it's quite difficult because research is so broad. I mean, let's take NIHR. It's, it's a £1.1 billion a year funding organisation. It might even be £1.2 billion. Um, if it only funded one thing in one way, it would be relatively straightforward to come up with a very dull logic model and then talk about um, what impact might occur and how to measure it. But that's not what an IHR does. It spreads its money broadly, world-class research, uh, but anything from a £100,000 feasibility study for someone new to research to a £100 million or more five-year infrastructure grant between a major university and a major hospital. Um, and as such, it, it's, it's pretty much impossible to say that that's the way you look at impact. Um, and if you try to do that, um, uh, you'd end up with um, a, a sort of meaningless number. Research impact this year is 4.5. Um, and it's, it's too complex to say it's going to be a single thing. So the point is to try and uh, promote people to ask the right questions, depending on what research they're doing um, and the pathway they're trying to actually change within the NHS. Uh, and that's a much better way of looking at it, I think. Do you think the current system is stacked against researchers actually adding to knowledge in such a way that benefits patients? Uh, I don't think it's stacked against that. The, the issue, I think, is there's uh, what the culture is um, in the organisations that undertake research and the culture of the funders as well. Um, there is a danger of a closed-loop conversation between funders and fundees. Um, that may touch on patient requirements and patient viewpoints, but actually is a way of doing no more than ticking boxes. That's not because anyone's evil or stupid, but, but it's what we all default for. Um, and we need to think in a far more broader term. So NIHR have spent a lot of time and effort uh, on patient involvement. Simon Denegree and Zoe Gray and Valve uh, do an awful lot of work on this, and Simon particularly is a real figurehead in this area. We have the James Linder lines to get the patient viewpoint in uh, prioritising what sort of research that we do. Um, there's a lot of work that 
will continue in that. But I think when it comes to working out what the impact is, uh, we need to ask the patients again. Um, what do they think success looks like for them? Take into account that, as you say, on average, and it is a very broad average, it's 17 years for research to get into practice. Do we need to ask uh, patients earlier on, well, what do they think, what would they hope for if the research was successful in terms of their pathway? And at the end, when we are lauding this fantastic piece of research that's got into practice, can we get the patient viewpoint about whether it really has? Has it touched their lives? And can we be honest? and this is my MS hat really coming through, that actually a lot of um, uh, a chronic conditions effects are going to be outside the healthcare service. So we know uh, very broadly that in my condition, multiple sclerosis, um, actually two-thirds of the effect is outside the healthcare service. Two-thirds of the cost is not going to fall on the NHS. It's on social care. It's on family. Um, you know, I did some very basic maths a few years ago, and I talked about this in Oxford, that MS has cost me a, a six-figure sum in lost earnings. That's never going to be caught in a nice guideline, um, and by definition that's never going to be caught in, in many systematic reviews. But actually, when we're looking at the success of MS research, do we need to look beyond changes in the NHS? I think we do. Do you think we're funding the right kind of research? There was a really interesting tweet this morning which was asking about what sort of research policymakers uh, rank highest. Um, and various conversations on Twitter about, you know, it's obviously economic analysis at the top yeah. and RCTs, and then sometimes they're interested in qualitative stuff. But what was interesting was people saying actually it's the politicians and policymakers that are often persuaded to do something, to fund something, to go in a certain direction by the stories, by the patient's stories. Yeah, yeah. Do you think we've got that combination right? No, I, it's neither right nor wrong. It's an evolving story at the moment. And decent impact assessment is narrative with numbers, not numbers with a bit of words at the end of the day, as I said. Otherwise, you, you get driven by um, how much money something makes, um, the old tech transfer uh, conundrum in that sense, rather than what actual effect it's had on patients. So there has to be a storyline to all of this. Whether we got the balance right, I think, is, 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 a, is a moot point. Most... Uh, charities as part of the AMRC, the Associated Medical Research Charities, um, are at least in part led by the patient cohorts they represent. Um, so I was having a conversation with the head of research of uh, the MS Society, Susan, uh, last week, the week before, about the fact they are very keen to do more work on, say, fatigue, which is a particular problem with people with MS. Um, and they're trying to work out a, a, a way of getting uh, better application for research in that particular area and getting better ways of judging that sort of research they've done so far about what the impact actually is to break that closed loop of funders and fundees, uh, which, which sort of but don't really touch on what patients think is important. As I said, no one's doing it deliberately. It's just very difficult to get the patient view, viewpoint, I think. Most conditions um, vary enormously. Uh, you know, MS is a classic case. I, I count myself exceptionally lucky after 15 years of, of being extremely mobile. Um, and yet it's not unusual for some of my tribe to, to be mobility restricted very quickly. Uh, people talk about four types of MS. I think there are 4,000 types. Um, and therefore trying to capture what's important to a particular cohort is close to impossible. We shouldn't not try but we should be aware that actually many times the best is the enemy of the good and let's try and get something that works first and worry about the rest later. And you've spoken about Simon Denegri's yep. work and his colleagues at NAHI involved. 
um, amazing work. Yep. This is a patients included event here, mm -hmm. Cochrane. What's your perception of Cochrane and the collaboration and the network internationally in terms of how they involve patients in their work? Well, I think the, the fact that they've realised that, that they're, they're missing a trick, uh, missing a beat, is, is a, a, a marvellous step forward. Uh, the fact that it is a patient-including conference and there's a lot of discussions about how we might do this. Uh, the session that I'm talking about uh, tomorrow, about partnership uh, for impact, um, and my colleagues there, and the, the, the fact that it has taken centre stage is a great first step. The key, though, is to keep going. Uh, this is part of, I would imagine, a long-term cultural change program. It doesn't happen overnight. There'll be moments it won't work at all. And the issue is not to stop when it gets difficult and to keep going, to listen and to learn. Um, and ironically, maybe sit down now and work out, well, what's the impact of having patients evolved on Cochrane that we would expect to see in 10 or 15 years' time maybe ask patients what they would hope to see and then in 10 or 15 years time you can then work back to see did it actually have an effect that would be my one piece of advice thank you mark brilliant stuff good luck tomorrow thank you cochrane for all better evidence for everyone follow the hashtag cochrane for all to get the science and evidence to empower better decisions